Welcome to Annasbrook Church. We hope this message from our lead pastor, Graham Hislop, empowers and encourages you. To hear more from our church, make sure you subscribe or visit our website at annasbrook.co.nz for a service near you. So anyway, um, about two or three weeks ago, I began feeling the Lord draw me to, um, I don't know if it'd be a topic's not really right, but a word that he laid on my heart, and I want to share it today. It was about two or three weeks ago that this this kind of stirring was going on, and actually pretty cool because um, I didn't know what Jared was going to share last week, and those who were here last week, he talked about the battle belonging to the Lord. And I don't know if you ever felt like you've been in a battle, but I have been through many battles, uh, many challenges. The Bible says we don't, we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but against a backdrop of dynamics and forces. Scripture uses the phrase powers and principalities. It's hard to imagine what they look like. Kind of think of Lord of the Rings, don't you? No? Okay. And, um, and, and, but, but the reality is the moment you, God calls you into this, this kingdom, you're going you're gonna to face challenges. Let's finish in prayer on that encouraging note. Thank you, Lord. And so anyway, um, so two or three weeks ago, Alex, what, what's happened to your voice? You sound like a gospel man. Like you're out of control. So anyway, um, I, I want to share this message probably in the context as a lead on from last week. And it, mo- it may not sound like that as we're getting along. But it is one of the very, I, I want to use the word, and not, not loosely, I want to use the word pretty directly, foundational, um, like absolutely primary to what it would mean for our faith to be in Christ, okay? In, in the primary and foundational, one of the ways, primary ways that we would fight our battles as fight, God fights them for us. It comes from Exodus chapter 15. Uh, then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. So they've actually come at this point through the Red Sea, through the miracle of the Red Sea, and now they're moving away. And as they moved out, put yourself in this situation, they came to the desert of Shur, and they traveled in this desert for three days without finding water. Man, uh, that's something. When they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. I love how the Bible just like makes it very explainable, doesn't it? It's like, okay, so that's the name. It's like when Jesus came out of the desert after his 40-day fast. Have you ever read it where he says, and Jesus was hungry? It's like, really? <laughs> if I skip breakfast, I'm hungry. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? Um, Moses cries out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink, or as the message says, made it sweet. I want to just take some moments this morning just to really bring this challenge and thought, this real foundational thought called apply the cross. Apply the cross. Um, There's a lot of confusion about the cross that is the cross Jesus was crucified on. A lot of um, murkiness a lot of grayness. You're probably thinking, wow, really? We're going to go straight into the message with the cross. Okay, awesome. Uh, well, it's not Easter. You know, like, you think like that, eh? Like, like, that's where we've got to in our culture is, well, we talk about the cross at Easter on the Friday, wait a couple of days and we talk about the resurrection and that should be about right. And, uh, or, or, or we'll think, well, this isn't Bible college, so like, what are we, what are we up to, you know? 
let's do some life application. And uh, it was sort of for that reason that I, Rebecca and I, we decided that when our, when our kids were young, we really wanted them growing up with like as much of faith explained minus the part that God's got to do, right? There's always got to be a God. No parent can make their kid, their, their kid's eyes open to who Jesus is. That's, that's going to be God's domain. But we can, we can create an atmosphere. That's what we've tried to do, not always succeeded in. So anyway, we would use uh, mostly our, our trips to school drop-off to do this, other times as well. And I would um, literally, when dropping the kids off, I would write out a memory verse, read the memory verse, we'd memorize, right, Izzy? Memorize, oh, yeah, and the other one. And we'd memorize the memory verse, and we would, um, then we'd talk about it, right? <clears throat> have you got a memory verse you want to share, Izzy? There must be so many. There must be so many you have since our great upbringing days. You got nothing. It's great. <laughs> and so anyway... Now, that's fair enough. You, you, ought, you have to be able to say no to your parents in moments like this. So there's no shame on you, okay? So I'm going to share a story about your brother instead. So, <laughs> so anyway, one Easter, we get to Easter, and that night um, before dinner, I, I get these weird urges as a parent uh, around this stuff where I'm like, oh, I've got to explain, you know, we're going to have Easter, we're going to have a roast, but I want to make sure everyone, I do it at Christmas as well before we do the presents. I don't know if you've ever had parents like that. It's kind of like Christian dictatorship, really. But anyway, I'm like, at dinner, I'm like, right, we're going to, what is Easter all about? Nice to see you singing today, Chelsea. That was brilliant. Anyway, I was like, all right, what is Easter all about? And so we were, we were doing this kind of like spot quiz, what's Easter all about? And, you know, sucks as well because the meal was on the table. Does anyone hate cold food? Well, I think that's the price they should pay for their faith. You know, no. And anyway, I was like, all right, what, what's Easter all about? And there was looks like, oh my gosh, not again. Like, save us. This is horrible. Um, not even Jesus would do this. You know, looks like that. And one kid, one kid jumped into the fray. He jumped in and he was like, I know, I know. And um, this, this is when Judah, Judah would have been three or four. And anyway, it was, a, it was a poignant moment. I was trying to make it very spiritual. And he goes, I know what Easter's all about. And I thought, okay, awesome. All right, what is, okay, Judah, what is Easter all about? And he said, real confidently, he said, that's when Jesus was hit by the car. <laughs> and again, moment of deep parenting failure, just um, oozing out of my soul. And I said, so I thought, I've got to jump in. I've got to rescue this. Because I just said, oh, what do you mean? And... Uh, and he looked at me with this indignant, like, confident, persuaded. He just said, well, Jesus died on the crossing. <laughs> and somehow he thought the gospel was a car accident. How sad, eh? How sad that a three- or four-year-old has mental images of the Savior being run over by a Toyota or a Mazda or something. I mean, what, what sort of, what is this? But as a minister, God couldn't have given me a better gift. That gift right there is eternal, that gift. Because there is about as much confusion about the cross today as there would have been in Exodus 15. In fact, some of you are saying, why are you reading Exodus at all if we're going to talk about the cross of Calvary? Why are you going to talk about that? The, the um, Exodus, if you don't know, is Old Testament. That, this is a thousand odd plus years before Jesus is even born. I mean, didn't Jesus die in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And, and, and that, that is actually very true. But the story that 
we get kicked off in, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, these five particularly, are a story. It's a, it's a narrative of our story. It's exactly our story. Um, God's people found themselves trapped in slavery to Egypt, rescued and led out to a promised land. The narrative goes like this. Egypt is sin. Every human being is born into sin like we're born into gravity. You do, like, even if you don't like the idea, you refute the idea, you refuse the idea, you, you, you kick against the goads, as the Bible says, against the idea, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you accept it or not. Every person has been born into it, into this state. But Moses is a picture of a deliverer. Um, there's going to be a deliverer to sin, to deliver them out of Egypt. And then a promised land where we're getting, these people are getting delivered to is a metaphor for life in harmony with God, with the Creator and the Redeemer. And that all that we'd ever need in it is in Him, milk and honey included. Okay? And to enter Canaan, which is this promised land, which speaks, Canaan is really for us as believers, isn't heaven alone when you die. Um, it's actually the Spirit of God entering into you, creating new creation. Okay? So that's the... That's the story. And uh, it's really, really interesting because Scripture shows us through those five books and through those moments, all, all, all the moments along the way where redemption shows up time and time again. And of Mara, it certainly did. They'd not been long out of Egypt. They'd crossed the Red Sea. Um, this took a lot of courage. It was, it was crazy. And then from that point, they're walking for three, you read it, three days, with children and possessions, they're talking three million people in total. This is not like <laughs> it's like a not like a small group, you know. Like this is quite quite significant, quite tricky, and they could not find water. No water. You've been walking for three days. You, you're right right at the end of yourself. So I'm not sure um, when they came to the source of water, Mara, how relieved they must have been. Their eyes were just like lit up. Um, but someone is chosen to go down and to test these waters to make sure that they're drinkable. So the person is, you know, eeny, meeny, and they pick, pick them out, and there they are. And Gary, you're up today. I don't know if it's a very Hebrew name, Gary. If you're here and your name's Gary, God bless you. And, he, and, he, and he's like, Gary, you're up. And so Gary goes down and, and sheepishly just takes a sip, and a huge spray comes out of Gary's mouth. These waters are not. H2O bottled. This is not pump. What? What is up with the price of bottled water, by the way? Do you see it's $4.50 for a... No, nothing. Okay. And there they are, and he's drinking, and he's like, guys, it's bitter. And you just imagine the word spreading through this huge group of people. Just the, just the despondency. Let alone, think about the children. Have you ever had a thirsty kid? Psychopaths. You know, just total... Total demonic activity. Seriously. Rebecca and I, we always had this policy when, because we've got five children. When we went to a restaurant, I'm pretty happy to buy the food. I'm not buying drinks. You're laughing, but if you think about it, five times what for a can of Coke? It's going to be five bucks. That is wrong. That is a total, there's a problem with the economy. So I say you can have water, but if it's their birthday, I'll shout them drinks. Uh, so we do, but just for the birthday person. Little do they know when we go out for a date night, there's drinks everywhere. It's crazy. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so Moses is panicking. The kids are panicking. Everyone's freaking out. And, and, and the jovialness aside, this is, this is life and death. 
And then the crowd turns on Moses. And because fear is gripping everybody. And Moses, what the heck are you going to do? And Moses turns to God. And that's all some of you needed to come for today. Turn to God. Just turn to God. He just turns to God and he says, God, what are you going to do? And the Lord, and the Lord says this, Moses, there's a stick down there. This guy is, this guy is a phenomenal leader. He's had uh, the company of Pharaoh. He has uh, underlings. He has Aaron and the whole setup of what's going to be set up soon, the priesthood. Moses is a beast. He is just an absolutely phenomenal leader. He has done signs and wonders through God's work through him. And you imagine the humility it took to hear a whisper in his spirit to pick up a stick. Would you do it? Or would you just think that's crazy? Would you just think, nah, that's, that wasn't God? And Moses, he trusts God. He doesn't know about the foreshadows. He doesn't have theological upbringing. They don't know about what's about to happen through Jesus. He just does it. He literally just does what God says. He picks up the stick and he throws the stick in the water. And this is a repeating picture. Not once. When God said to Moses, uh, when talking to Pharaoh, take your staff and throw it down on the ground and it will turn into a serpent. And he did so. And then pick it up and it turned back into a stick. This was a picture that Christ would come down from above and would become a curse for us to deal with the powers, the tyrants that hold us hostage. Should get a bit more of an amen than Chelsea and Jared. This was like the time that Moses lifted his hands over the Red Sea. So when Moses lifted his hands over the Red Sea, soldiers are chasing them, okay? God says, lift your hands. What this is, this is a foreshadow of the Savior Deliverer, his hands being nailed to the cross. That everything that kept us out of, stuck in sin was about to be split in half down the middle that we could go through. This was just like the time, another time, where they needed water and the journeying out of Egypt. And God says to Moses, grab your staff and strike the rock. This was an image that when Jesus was nailed to the cross of Calvary, he was struck, smitten, struck. And the rock, he's known as the rock, when the stick struck the rock, water flowed out of it, giving life to anyone who was thirsty. Sounded all familiar. Every time there's a problem, every time there's a problem in this journey of getting out of Egypt, God takes Moses to a picture or an item of the cross. Every time. Every time. No matter what problem they face, the cross, and they didn't even know about the cross. They didn't even know about, this is before Leviticus and the, and the imagery. This was purely God showing them what would take place. And at Marah, God says, throw the stick in the water, and the bitter water straight away became sweet. And all I'm really here to do this morning is one thing. I'm here to remind people about the power of the cross. I'm here to declare to you that no matter how much smart you think you get in your Christianity, no matter how intellectual you think you're getting, no, ma no matter how much Greek you've memorized and translated, there is still power in the cross. Yes! I'm, pre I'm supporting my own preaching there. Amen! We used to sing songs about the cross. 
Do you remember it? We used to sing them. My granddad wasn't even a Christian in his favorite song, and he asked for this to be at his funeral. The old rugged cross. Not even a Christian. Um, I remember growing up when this song was out. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died. There was always that bass note, eh, someone? There's always the lower voices. My richest gain I count as lost and poor contempt on all my pride. What about this one? Do you remember this one? Probably more your time, Jared. At the cross I bow my knee Where your blood was shed for me There's no greater love than this You have overcome the grave Your glory fills the highest place What could separate me now? I, I remember an old song we sung um, It was it, well, I don't think it was a worship song But we might have sung it at times It was this one um, we were the reason that he gave his life. We were the reason, maybe there, that he suffered and died for a world that was lost. He gave all he could give to show us the reason to live. There's so many songs about the cross. Paul said, Paul was like one of the greatest thinkers in the world, and he said this. All I want to know, Galatians 2.2, is Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wrote two-thirds of this New Testament, and all he wanted to know was an understanding of the greatness and the what? Man, I'm fired up. And the wonder of the cross. Pauline doctrine. The theologies of Paul. The throne, the cross, the seventh heaven, the, the levels, the understanding, the anointing, the grace, the power. And all he really was trying to grasp was Jesus Christ and him on the cross. In, in, in John 3.14, Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was searching for spiritual truth, he said, he talked about the wind first of all, and then he used a Moses picture. He said, just as it was when Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness on the pole, so when the Son of Man is lifted up, everyone who believes in Him and looks to Him will have everlasting life. He uses this picture and this imagery that the cross is the way to life. The cross is the way to life. The cross is going to be the way. In John 19.30, um, Jesus said when He was on the cross, it is finished. Everything that was meant to be accomplished through the law, that the law was never created to accomplish in us, but to only reveal what humanity could not measure up to, Jesus fulfilled through the cross. And of course, every time I talk about the cross, you know I'm talking about his blood. That was the instrument in which the blood came out of. And we have got so accustomed to not thinking about the cross that some of this sounds foreign. And you know that Paul wrote, he said this, the message of the gospel and of the cross is like foolishness to people who are perishing. They're like, so what? But to others who are being saved, it is the most precious message there has ever been. And I want to declare to you today that actually, just as it was for Moses and just as we've heard in those scriptures, it can be for us. But, here's the but. The, 
the big if. The Bible said that when Moses threw the stick into the water to make it sweet, that this was the point of what? Application. Like, like, just picture it. They're at the waters. People are dying of thirst. He sees the stick. He gets the stick. He throws it in. He, he picks up the stick. He grabs the stick. Throws it in. That act of humility is an act of application. Take the stick. Don't just believe in the stick. Don't just think, I'm sure it will find its way there. Grab the stick, and every other time too, if he lifted his staff, application. Struck the rock, application. I want to propose something. Our problem right now is not that we don't think the cross is significant. Our problem is we're not learning how to apply it. We just don't, we haven't quite figured it out. I mean, that's discipleship, isn't it? That's why we've got to be discipled because there are ways that we need to apply this thing. The fact and the fact alone is like, yes, Jesus died, but if we don't learn how to throw it into the waters, if we don't learn, the the question would be, if the cross could save our souls from the serpent, why wouldn't the cross be able to help you in your job? Only one reason. You don't know how to apply it. Dang, this is a good message. I know it by how quiet you are. If, if the cross saved your soul from the serpent, then how would the cross not also help you in your health? What are you saying, that your health is a bigger issue? It's a harder job? If the cross could save you, save your soul from the work of sin, then how could the cross not help you? Please tell me a single application. I had this job one time. It wasn't from my in-laws. People know that I worked for my in-laws, but I had a terrible boss, and that's why I say it wasn't for my in-laws, and it certainly wasn't here at the church. But there was another job, so awful, so horrible, so terrible. In fact, one time the employer um, just punched me in the head, and I and I thought to myself, didn't read that in the in the job description. But anyway, I was I was like not having a good time. And, and how many people know it just absolutely sucks when it sucks at work? Um, or it sucks when it sucks at home too. So anyway, and doesn't it just suck when it sucks? So anyway, I, <laughs> I just broadened the scope. Everyone's included now. So anyway, the job just sucked. And I remember going to Brent, and I said to Brent, I was um, 20, 20, and I said to Brent, I don't know what to do. I walk into the building in the morning, and he swears at me. Um, he's whacked me. I don't know if I should go to a lawyer or what I should do. And this is what Brent said. Have you tried praying the prayer of change or remove? And I said, beg your pardon? (laughs) And let me just say, this was not in a church service. He, uh, He talked to me about this. He said, why don't we pray that God would change him or remove him? And I said to Brent, but he owns the business. He goes, so what? So then... We began to pray. My faith, my faith, I want to talk about faith for a second. None of this message is going to make any sense if there's not a tiny bit of faith in you this morning. If you're waiting for me to convince you intellectually, it's not going to go well. You're still wondering why my t-shirt is so big. (laughs) I'm just slightly under-nutriating myself. (laughs) You know, like, like, when we come to church, we are not, I am not trying... You're not trying to be convinced at a, at a 
thinking level alone, we do need to change our thinking. But today you're being fed, hopefully, the Word of God. And if your heart wasn't ready for it, it's just going to skim in there and bounce out. But if you have faith, so he told me, change or remove. And I just had faith. You know what I've learned? Is I've learned that sometimes the smarter I think I've got, the less faith I'll have in those areas. Ignorance is not bliss, but a tiny bit of childlike faith, like ignorance, is a slipstream for the Holy Spirit. When you're like, I don't know, God, just help me. So we prayed, and he prayed, change or remove. Now, I was praying, only remove, Lord, only remove, <laughs> only remove. Like, like legit, I was there going, remove, 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 remove. And I did not, I was not prepared for the next day. When I walked in, and everything about him changed. And he changed for the rest of the time I worked for him. Why? Because there's power in the finished work of Jesus over our lives. So please, tell me, what area do you think the cross could not work in if you had bitter waters? Don't worry, they're, going, they're coming up here. It's like they've left on a point I've made. They disagree. It's a split, church split. Okay, so what I want to do, I just want to finish up because some of you, some of you have known about the cross, but it hasn't, hasn't quite worked because you haven't yet learned how to throw it in, okay? So you've, some of you got brought up in the Gospels, brought up in the Word, and then you, you finish there. You stop reading about the cross. You stop meditating on the cross. You stop thinking about the cross, and you do it at Easter, and that's good. That's fine. That's better than nothing, but I, I want to tell you that it wouldn't be a single day that goes by that if you found yourself at the foot of the cross, God could not work something through for you, either in helping you to be patient or working out an outcome. Either's good for him. So I, wanna, I just want to recall right now, in a couple of moments, I've only got a few minutes left. I'm just going to give you three examples of what the cross has accomplished. Totally, it's not waiting to accomplish. So you're not waiting for this to be done. This has been done and that how you can apply it. The first is this, that the cross for us has brought us redemption. Galatians 2.20, I've, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live in the body. I live by faith through the Son of God, through that finished work of the cross, through God sending His Son to die for me. And this is the foundation of it. So you really got to get this now. Who loved me and gave Himself for me? So this love of God is primary to why He hung on that tree. Okay, ready? This one fact alone is enough for you. If he, if he redeemed all of mankind, could he not redeem your relationship? If he redeemed all of mankind, could he not redeem your finances? If you believe there's redemption in the cross, then you will run to the cross to be redeemed again. So I'll apply it for you, okay? If I knew that God had brought redemption for all of mankind, then I would go like this. I would start meditating that's ruminating in my mind. I would capture in my mind, got Netflix, got Instagram, got everything else. But today, I think about the cross. And I think about what happened on that cross. And I think about the things that he said on that cross. And I, as I do, I'm tapping into redeeming power. I think this. This is me picking up the stick and throwing it in. I think this. He has snatched me from death, so therefore, he can rescue me in this situation. I throw this redemptive work into my life. I'll say that. I'm throw, I could have called this message, throw it in. I could have titled it, throw it in. So when crap starts hitting fans 
and, you, and it's like everywhere. I look to the cross. I draw my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I bring my mind, I bring my thoughts, I bring my heart, and then I throw it in. And I'm still saying seven or eight years on, thank you, Lord, that you can redeem Judah. Thank you, Lord, you can heal diabetes. I don't care what you say to me. There won't be a single day that goes on that I won't stand on the redeeming power. Hey, might just see it. Redeemed. God can't, there's nothing God can't redeem, you know. The other thing is that, that, that the cross forgave us, which is crucial to the foundation of your thinking and wisdom and understanding that you are not stuck in sin. If Jesus has your sins, Colossians 2.13, you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ through that work and He forgave us. How many of our sins? All of our sins. Someone Instagrammed last week, trying to hurt me by bringing up my past is trying to rob my old house. I don't live there anymore. That ain't my stuff. I'll read that one more time. Trying to hurt me by bringing up my past because of the cross, because I've I've, I've got the cross. You've forgiven me fully today. I throw it into the soul part of my life. I'm in turmoil. I feel guilt. I feel shame and condemnation. Don't ignore it. Take it to the cross and then take the cross to it. I could have called this message, take the cross to it. Take the cross to it. Every time, I'll read it one more time because that's what I was doing before I got distracted. Trying to hurt me by bringing up my past is like trying to rob my old house. I don't live there anymore. That ain't my stuff. buy a new one. Here's how I apply it. How many of your sins were in the were forgiven when Jesus died on the cross? That's how I apply it in my mind when I feel that guilt, feel that shame, feel whatever. How many of my sins were forgiven at the cross when Jesus died? I'll, just a weak clue, okay? All of them. Because I wasn't even alive and yet He did a covering work. So, so I will do whatever it takes, and it might take me more than five minutes, might take me more than 20 minutes, might take me an hour, but I will apply it. I'll just apply it. I'll just throw the cross in there. Soul, like David, why are you so downcast? Or, hey, I'm not going to be condemned today. Hey, I'm not my past. You're just not. You're just not. Because of the cross, you're not. And if that's not foundational, then it's not going to reframe your thinking. Thirdly and finally, and this is a controversial one now, but we've got we to fight for it back. The cross has also healed us. Isaiah 53.5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. This is where we get the theology of healing from. He was pierced for our transgressions. This was written by the prophet Isaiah before Jesus came. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, that's when they whipped him with that um, cat of... Uh, that lead in that whip, we are healed. And I want to say something. I feel like the church has been ripped off of 50% of the finished work of the cross. We have some confidence that we're forgiven, but we're nearly no confidence left that God still heals. And we reform our theology by disappointments. And I, I want to say to you, reforming your theology by disappointments and what you see is about as dumb as Moses hearing from God, throw the water, stick in the water and I'm going, why though? Look where you've led us. Look what's happened. You are called to be a person of faith. That's trusting confidence. 
I say to you, I declare to you, we're going to take back the other 50% of the gospel. I'm sick and tired of us being ripped off and coming under fear and being threatened by people's physical ailments and feeling as though the cross is no longer enough. That is an offense to the cross. That is an offense to the finished work of Jesus. I may not understand it all. I may be still learning how to apply it, healing and step into healing. But I refuse in our generation ought not to be the generation who said they believed they'd get into heaven, but they had to put up with garbage while they're here on earth. I will not. I, I declare it. Let's get back the healing. Let's get back the healing doctrine. Let's get back. It was at the cross. Hey, even if you've got to clap by faith, clap. Come on. We've got to get it back. And so, this morning, we've got to apply the cross. We've got to throw it in. We've got to learn the art. If you're not in a small group, you've got to get in a small group. Small groups is where really I think some of these, you know, change or remove conversations happen. Where some of these deeper, deeper combos about the cross and about how to walk it out, they take place. But here in this moment right now, I'm actually going to pray. I'm actually going to, I just feel like, I just feel like what God wants to do is tell you it's not smart to graduate from thinking there's more to this than the cross and the empty tomb. If Christianity has got complicated for you and you're losing faith in it, apply the cross. Come back to the cross. Sit. See yourself at the feet of the cross. Now, you're not going to see a Jesus there anymore because he rose again. But what you will see is every payment, every penalty, every work complete. Now, let's go explore what could happen. Let's go explore what could happen. Faith is not for the faint-hearted. Let's see the finished work. Let's believe for the finished work to flow in our days and in our weeks. And I want to pray. And this is what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that our eyes would be open and we'd get a revelation. And then I'm going to open up the front area here today to pray for some people who need, we'll just declare the work of the cross over sickness. And our eyes, what we're going to do is we pray for that. We're just going to be firmly fixed on the cross. We're going to, be, we're going to get an image. We're going to get a picture. We're going to get one of these stories of Moses lifting up the stick with the serpent on it. And as people in Israel looked, because they were, fire, they were called fiery serpents, and they, they were just in the desert. They were everywhere. They were like cats. And, uh, but these serpents were very venomous. And they'd bite someone. And the Bible said if someone had that toxic venom going through their system, they'd just look to the pole as Moses lifted it up, and they were healed. But I'm sure, as Charles Spurgeon said, I'm pretty sure people would have thought, this is stupid. I'm not looking to the cross. I'm going to go find a doctor. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go find some medicine. And yet, the cross was always there. The finished work was always there. And whether it would be venom in our body, cancer in our body, whether it be disease or even venom in our soul, sin, there is nothing the cross cannot fix for you today. If you walked in guilty and heavy, you can walk out free if you would look to the cross. So I'm going to help us lift up the cross. That's all we're going to do. We're going to lift up the cross in this moment. And if you're a mature saint here today, you're going to help me do it. We're going to create an atmosphere. We're going to create a point where we glorify the one. You know, the Bible talks about the cross being his passion. 
talks about His glorification. That's where glory, it was a glory. It was painful and horrid and terrible. But He took the sins of the world upon Him, did Jesus. And He bore our sickness and He bore our shame and He bore our sin that we could be free. So let's lift Him up this morning, shall we not? Stand to your feet, everybody. We're going to pray. Let faith rise today. Let faith rise today. Let faith rise today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you're wondering what the next step in your faith journey looks like, please get in touch with us. Email us at info at or visit our website, 